Welcome to the teaching ministry of Steve Franklin. Steve's calling is to coach champions in the kingdom of God. Our prayer for you as you listen to this word of encouragement and instruction is that you'll be built up in your faith and encouraged to take the next step in your development as one of God's true champions. Here's Steve. I know many of you didn't think I would ever get back to finishing Philippians, but uh, if you would turn to Philippians 4, your day has arrived. We started this in January. And uh, as Dina's noted there on your outline, this is our 16th session in the book of Philippians. We'll see how far we get. Understanding that we've been talking about the power of symbolic action, that is, when the Lord gives us a command or an opportunity in the natural, there are certain things that arise out of faith and obedience that trigger a supernatural transaction. There are natural actions, if they arise out of faith and obedience, that trigger spiritual transactions. Now, what I just said might seem a little confusing to you at first, but think about it. It's all the way through the Scriptures. Ask in the natural and you shall what? There's something that happens in the spiritual realm when you take a natural action. Give, and it shall be what? That is, when you, if my people who are humbled, uh, called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, then I will hear and I will what? It's all the way through the scriptures. When there is an action done in faith and obedience, there is a supernatural transaction that takes place. Now, the supernatural transaction may not be on this natural time frame. There are things that happen in the realm of the spirit that are not manifested immediately in the realm of the natural. But as sure as this word is true, when that word is believed and obeyed, there is a spiritual transaction to every natural action under faith and obedience. Now today, we've been, we've been talking about how when you are baptized, then you are identifying, you are publicly claiming you are identifying with the Lordship of Jesus. Last week, we talked about the scripture where the Father spoke to the Son and said, this is my beloved Son, in Him I'm well pleased. When you make that physical action, the Holy Spirit on the inside of you gives you affirmation, connection, completion. How many of you were baptized last Sunday and can identify with the fact that something felt different? Is that right? Something felt different. You may not have been able to explain it, but there was something completed and connected as you obeyed the Lord. A spiritual transaction to a natural action. We've talked about for three weeks how the Lord's table, receiving the broken body and the shed blood, we are proclaiming the Lord's death and everything in that death. 
Not only are we saying, Lord, we believe that you have forgiven us of our sins, that there's a new covenant now. The Spirit lives on the inside of us. We're saying you have made us through that broken body and shed blood. You've made us righteous in your eyes. We are saying that our sins are forgiven and remembered no more. We are saying we believe and we reapply that when you took on yourself our infirmities and carried away our diseases, we can enter into that physical benefit of the blood of Jesus. We are believing that the word is true, that when we proclaim the Lord's death through the receiving of the broken body and the shed blood, we are saying to those spirits of darkness, you have no rights over us. The body and blood of Jesus has set us free and you are under the dominion of those in whom the Lord Jesus lives and dwells. There are all kinds of spiritual transactions that take place through a natural action done in faith and done in obedience. Not in some ritual, but done in faith and obedience. So would it be accurate to say that there's something in the water. Yes or no? There's something in the baptismal water. Yes or no? Would it be accurate to say there's something at the table? Well, I want you to know today, you're going to find out there's something in your hand. Oh, I could go on and on. There's something in the oil. There's something in the laying on of hands. There's all kinds of examples of symbolic action. But I want us to see something here today. As the apostle talks, he is incarcerated, but most probably under house arrest. He writes here in the last few verses of the book of Philippians, he, he, and we talked about this, but I want to read right through it. Verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care, you, your, you Philippians, your care for me has flourished again. You surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. How many of you know that sometimes you want to do something very badly, but you just don't have an opportunity to do it? Is that right? Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am therewith to be content. Now I'm fixing to get a little personal here. How many of you know what I mean? When I say it gets a little old when somebody is always coming to you wanting you to be their need meter. Doesn't that get a little weary? Can I ask you something? Examine the words of your mouth. Are you always talking need or are you talking supply? Are you always talking about I need, 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 I need. We have ministers and ministries all around the world who listen to my voice. Can I tell you something? Those of you who are operating under the obedience of the Lord, you need to quit being so need-oriented and learn to be content with the sufficiency of Jesus. People are going to stop wanting to see you coming when all you do is every time you reach out to somebody, it's always with a need. Notice verse 12, I know how to be abased. And that word means I know how to be without. 
and I know how to abound. I know how to get along without everything I need, and I also know how to get along with more than enough. You ever been to that place where you've been without what you need so long, you would just love to know what it, it, what it felt like to have more than enough? How many of you know that usually, usually before God blesses a man or woman with more than enough, they usually have to go through learning what it feels like not to have enough? Amen? You learn something about the Lord and His sufficiency when you don't have enough that maybe you may never learn when you always have more than enough. He says, I know, how to be, I know how to get along without all I need, and I know how to have more than I need. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. How many of us really have learned how to suffer need? What's the secret? I can do all things. Don't take it out of the context. I can do all these things through Christ who strengthens me. Whether I've got more than enough or whether I don't have enough to operate, I know that somehow I can do all things. Anything the Lord has assigned me to do, I can do it through him who infuses his inner strength into me. He is the strength I need in the process of having less than I need to having more than I need. I am strengthened through Jesus Christ in whatever state I'm in. Boy, what a powerful promise. I can do all things. Through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, he says, verse 14, are you there? Nevertheless, you've done well and you shared in my distress. Oh my goodness. That word distress in the Greek is thlipsis. T-H-L-I-P-S-I-S. It means to be under great pressure. Evidently, the apostle at this time in his life, although he was under house arrest and incarcerated, evidently he was stopped from preaching the gospel. Evidently, he still had to take care of his own needs. And notice, he says, you have done well in that you shared with me in my flipsis, in my great ongoing pressure. How many of you know that unmet needs will put a lot of pressure on you? Boy, y'all are acting awfully spiritual out there. Y'all don't have to deal with money and needs and material. Y'all don't. You have me worried there for a minute. Paul says, I, 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 you did well to share with me in my distress. What was he talking about? Physical, material, financial assistance. Let's read on. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving but you only. That staggers my mind. That the spiritual father, the bishop, the overseer, the apostle who established church after church after church after church, 
that nobody thought about investing in his needs but one church. Those of you in ministry get it real well, don't you? Don't you ever wake up and say, don't they get it? Paul said, you're the only one. The only church that shared with me in the early days of this ministry. Even in Thessalonica 16, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. How many of you know you got an account with God? No, do you know it? You've got an account with God. This is a legal term right here, your account. I'm not seeking the gift, I'm seeking the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and I'm abounding. I got more than I need right now, I'm full. I have received from Epaphroditus, that is the messenger from the church to me, I have received him the things that you sent me, a sweet smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well pleasing to God. How many of you know that when somebody does the right thing in the right way for one of God's servants, it makes, it just smells good to God Almighty. It is a pleasing aroma. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Isn't it amazing how often we take that verse out of context? We think that's just a blanket. Well, just pull it out of the air. It's in the context of somebody having made an investment in a kingdom agenda. Let's take a look at some of these things. Who, who were they investing in? Well, Paul was the founder of the church. He was their spiritual father. He was the overseer of the church, their bishop, their overseer. He is the one who sacrificed and labored and ministered and who was their covering. Notice it's not just any cause that we ought to be investing in. It's not just anything or anywhere. Notice what he says in verse 11, I am not speaking out of need. How many of you know that when you invest in the kingdom of God, it, not, it ought not to be driven by need? Now that's a tough statement right there. Everybody knows you're a bondbroker. You've been successful at it. Most successful bondbroker in Alabama. What if all your customers tomorrow called you up and said, you know what? We have made a decision not to do business with you because these other brokers out here have a greater need than you do. How would that bless you? How would it bless you over there? Buzzville, attorney, if somebody says, I want you to handle my case, you're an experienced man with all these years of experience, but you know there's another guy over here who don't know what he's doing, but he has a need, I need to call him. Would that bless you? 
Would it bless you if your customers say, you know what, you, you guys have a long, long track record at Southern. A long, Southern Case Arts has a long track record of doing all this wonderful work. But you know there's a startup over here and they have a need. I think we're going to quit doing business with you and help them because they need it more than you do. When you go to invest in the kingdom of God, don't be driven by need. Be driven by the be, be driven by the voice of the Holy Spirit and be driven by the principles of the Word of God. Who's ministering to you? Who is ministering to you? Where do you receive ministry? Where do you have a faith family? Where can you come and receive worship and the fellowship of the saints and prayer and spiritual covering and teaching and feeding? Where can you? You say, Pastor, are you doing a fundraiser? The only fundraiser I will ever do is teach you the Word of God. And if I don't teach you the Word of God, I will have to answer to the high priest of the church and I don't like, it makes me uncomfortable to even talk about things like this, but I have to do it. It's his word. I have never and don't ever plan to put an offering plate in front of you, but I have to tell you the word of God. There, why? I go before God and I ask the Lord to show me and make sure my motives are the same as verse 17, Paul's motives. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. I tell you, as sure as I'm standing here, the reason I have to tell you the power of what's in your hand and releasing it into the kingdom agenda, what I, 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 as sure as I'm standing here, my desire and my motive is so that you could get you could get in line with God's economy and how it works. I want you to get, I want you to get it. I want you to have revelation of sowing and reaping. I want you to begin to walk in God's economic system. I want you to get it. Notice Paul had invested in their lives. You say, does that have anything to do with verse 19? My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. You know, there's a principle in Scripture that whoever gives even a cup of water to a prophet to enable that prophet to do his assignment will receive the prophet's reward. Wow. Well, pastor, what do I do? How do I do that? Where does that go? Do you know the Bible says, and a lot of people say, well, that's just Old Testament giving into the kingdom of God, baloney. Hundreds of years before the Mosaic law of bringing all the tithes to the storehouse. Hundreds of years, God's man in whom he made a covenant of which we are recipients today, the man Abraham, 
one of the wealthiest men in all the earth, if not the wealthiest. And the Bible says there came a time when God brought in front of him a king and a priest named Melchizedek. And Abraham gave a tithe of everything he owned, a 10% offering to this king and priest. You read the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews will tell you that the type, the representative Melchizedek was of, is of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says this. Now listen, some of you are bowing your heads. This is not about shame. This is about opportunity. I said, this is not about shame. This is about opportunity. I can talk to you that way as a family, can I not? The Bible says that now, today, he, the Melchizedek, the priest, the king, the high priest, the ruling king, he receives tithes. When you release that tithe, which God says is holy unto the Lord, when you release that tithe in whatever kingdom agenda the Holy Spirit tells you to do it, you are tithing to Jesus. First and foremost, that tithe is not going to an organization. In the eyes of God, it is going to Jesus. You're a high priest. You're a ruling king. You say, well, pastor, didn't the New Testament? Listen, if the Lord wants to terminate something, he will specifically tell you, tell you it is terminated. But a lot of those Old Testament laws, Jesus didn't terminate. He fulfilled and perpetuated. Was it terminated like dietary laws? Laws of cleansing and washing all the pots and pans and over and over again, some of those were terminated. Or was it fulfilled and perpetuated? There is no evidence anywhere in Scripture that the Lord Jesus terminated the principle of tithing to the Lord. Why would the Lord want me to do that? Well, the Word says in Leviticus that the tithe is holy. You know what the Lord told me one time? He said, I cannot bless you. This was many years ago. I cannot bless you. And I thought, whoa. He said, I can't bless you financially because you're walking around with my money in your pocket. I told you that was holy. And you're spending holy money on your house or vehicle or whatever it was. Whew. Try that one on. When I began to see a tenth of my income was holy, I mean holy, and I began to see that if I would bring it all into the storehouse, what was the storehouse? The storehouse was that place where there were those who taught the word, where there was worship and praise going on, where there was blessing, there was affirmation by those who were called into full-time work. They had given up their right 
to go out into the marketplace and make all they could. They gave their lives to the service of the Lord. It was in that storehouse. It was where worship and praise, it was where there was prayer and the ministry of the word and blessing. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse and what? See if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing till it overflows. You know what God's saying there? He's saying the tithe is not for my sake, it's for yours. Heaven is not broke. And God says here, I want to, hey, look, <clears throat> you get involved, you get involved in this process, and I want you to know my God will meet all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Do you know that every material source comes from a spiritual resource? Every good and perfect gift from above, the word says. So what are you going to do? God give us revelation that a portion of our income is holy. Where should it go? To Jesus. And what has Jesus put through the principles of Scripture? Where are you being ministered to? Where are you taught the Word? Where are you provided worship opportunities? Where are you blessed and prayed for? You decide that. We don't make people fill out forms and join roles and we don't have pledges and all that kind of thing. You figure it out between you and Jesus. Just get involved in the release of that which is in your hand so that heaven can get involved in your finances. Can I tell you something? Heaven knows a whole lot more than you do about finances. Well, Pastor, I know a lot of people who don't give a nickel and they've got plenty of money. No, they don't. They don't have money. Money has them. Give before Jesus. Get involved in this process. Begin to trust it. You say, well, I don't know. I don't think I can afford that. You, can, you can't afford not to. God will make a way where there looks to be no way. Get in partnership with him and recognize that he has called a portion of all of our income holy. What does that do? Is it about money? No. It's about sovereignty. It's about recognizing that he owns it all. It's about recognizing that to have an ongoing relationship with him, I need, I, it requires faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. And I don't care where you are on the financial spectrum, giving the portion that he asks you to always requires faith. Always requires faith. Your blessing is at stake. 
Some of you, God wants to handle great, great, great resources, but he really wants you to get this when it's hard, when it's tough, when it doesn't make sense. What God is looking for some of us here today is to whether or not you're still going to try to reason it out in your own natural mind or whether you're going to say, God, I'll never make it make sense. I will be obedient. Now, Holy Spirit, lead me. And when you cross that line, you will set a trigger in the natural that will put in motion a spiritual transaction, a law. Whatever you sow, you shall reap. And it's eternal. Well, let's all stand. Teaching the Word is the only fundraiser we'll ever have here. I want you to get involved in God's economics. And can I tell you something? If you never saw a revelation or a manifestation in the natural realm of financial resources, the peace, the grace of obedience in that area is worth it all. Now, Father, please give all of these revelation of the holy and divine law of sowing and reaping. We thank you that it is eternal. We thank you that you have put it in motion. And I pray that you would give the grace to those who hear. May he who has ears to hear, hear the word of the Lord on this matter. And Father, we thank you that we've been given an opportunity, not condemnation. We can start where we are. We don't have to worry about all the past. We can start where we are. And we can come before you and recognize you own it all, Lord. Show me what to do, when, and how much I am giving to Jesus. Thank you that you've decided that there's a return. Now, church, I want you to listen to this last thing I want to say today. There is never, ever in Scripture that I am anywhere near aware of, there is never a command to give that there is not a promise to receive. Wow. What a wonderful promise. God didn't have to do that. Trust Him to keep the accounts because He's doing it. Trust Him. Amen? God, I bless all of these. I pray you'd bless them with more than enough. I pray you would bless them mightily, Lord. May their accounts overflow. I ask you to bring in 
customers and patients and those that you would use as resources to bless all of these. Bless them mightily and may you receive the glory and the honor and the praise for it. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, we'll see you next week. You can access more of Steve Franklin's teachings online at www.sfmin.com.